All right, we are going to do something a little different here uh, this morning. We normally, of course, go through the book of Luke, and I know some of you are going to start shaking and quivering when I tell you that we're not going to do Luke this morning. I know you're going to go through withdrawals. It's like, I got to get my Luke fix. Chill, chill. There are other books in the Bible, believe it or not. About once a year, we revisit this topic because we think it's central to our, our walk with God individually and as a community, as a, as a body. And I'm talking about worship and praise. Worship being just ascribing worth to God, a romancing God with gentle music. Praise being about celebration and dancing before the Lord and just celebrating who God is. And so this week, we're going to talk about worship, and next week, we're going to talk about praise, and we're not just going to talk about it, we're going to do it. We find it's necessary to come back to this topic once in a while, partly because there's new folks who uh, haven't heard our teaching on it, but even for those of us who have been around for a while, we always need to be reminded about what worship and what praise is and why it is so central. We find that in the life of the congregation, just like in our lives individually, there is a natural law of attrition. Have you found this? Uh, That if you're not really intentional at fighting it, you tend to just atrophy spiritually. And so what happens is, is over time, a congregation gets kind of lax, uh, it's kind of apathetic about worship. You sing songs, and maybe you like it, maybe you don't, but it becomes sort of an optional thing, and we forget how central this is. And so I'm going to talk just kind of a sermonette here, not a full-fledged sermon, a sermonette on what worship is, And then we're going to go into a prolonged time of worship and take communion and and some other things. I'll get to that a little bit later on. But I want to start this sermonette, this reflection with Psalms chapter 27, where David says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. This is the one thing David longs for, and to seek him in his temple. Lord, would you just here this morning be working, those who are in the auditorium and podcasting and watching via television, open our eyes. Take off the blinders to help us see your beauty. And to God, be reminded, or maybe taught for the first time, what it is to worship you and how profoundly important and beautiful that is. Guide us and lead us. Anoint this word and then anoint our time of worship afterwards in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let me start by sharing an experience I had a number of years ago, early 90s, I guess it was now. I was, I was doing a retreat. Forget what the group was, what church it was, and what, what camp it was, but it was way up north. And after a Saturday session, um, we were sitting around the campfire at night talking some theology or something. And all of a sudden, some folks who were out in a field a little ways away started hollering, really excited, saying, you guys, you got to get over here right now. We thought they saw a UFO or something. We couldn't see this guy because the trees were kind of blocking that. So we ran out into this field where these folks were. And... As soon as I got into that field, I realized why they were calling for us. The sky was lit up. I mean, there's a wall of this dancing white light. It was the most incredible thing I'd ever seen. I've seen the northern lights plenty of times, but nothing like this. The whole horizon was just shooting up and down. 
But then, as we stood there amazed, it started to like grow, it was evolving, and it started to come around us. And the white light became kind of like, like, like jade green, and then there was some violet in it, and even some hints of yellow. I'd never seen anything like this. And it kind of formed like a fortress around us. It was absolutely breathtaking. And some folks were saying, oh, look over there, look over there. And others were like, oh, look over there. And everyone was pointing in different directions. By the time you turned, you missed it. So what we all did was just lay it on the ground just to capture it all in. And we, it was like we were in this fortress around us. It was absolutely mind-boggling amazing. Gazing on the beauty of this phenomenon. It was like touching the transcendent, if you know what that means, transcendent, the, the beyond, this otherness, this strangeness, but it's a beautiful otherness. It was the most spectacular fireworks show I'd ever seen, uh, 10 times over. It was, there were times where I was laughing because of what I was seeing. Other times I was on the, on the verge of tears. It was so majestic because it was so large and all-encompassing, a fortress around it, and, uh, around us, and yet it was, it, was, it was moving so fast, these like sh flames shooting across the sky. It was magnificent. Uh, just, just uh, Never had seen anything quite like that. The mystics and the poets, spiritual, people of spiritual insight throughout history have, have told us that that sense of wonder and amazement really is all around us all the time if we just have eyes to see. That there is a, that dimension of the transcendent, this, this mystery, this beauty, this awe-inspiring wonder all around us if we just have eyes to see it. You can see it in the eyes of your newborn child or in the embrace of a friend or uh, the, the words, I love you from your spouse or even in the way a, a tree blows uh, in the wind, or in the way the clouds are forming. But see, usually we, we get used to those things. They're kind of the same. They become predictable, and so we fall asleep. The routine and monotony of life puts us to sleep, and we stop seeing the world with the eyes of a child. And stop seeing it in all of its wonder. We just get used to it. We see, but we're not really looking. People are just objects and trees are just trees and clouds are just clouds. But once in a while, we wake up a little bit. I don't know why, but the, the last couple months, I've been noticing the clouds like I never have before. I, I, I don't know what it is, but it's like I'm seeing them for the first time again. And I'm always pointing out to my wife, oh, look at that cloud formation. And, and of course, I've seen cloud formations like that a hundred times, but for some reason, I'm just seeing it new again. And there's a beauty that's reflected there and an awesomeness and a wonder that is there. But so often we miss it. Experiences like the northern lights like that I had can serve to wake us up, remind us once again of the wonder all around us. So we're not just walking through life on autopilot with eyes that are blinded and half awake. Some people find that uh, works of art do that for them. Some works of art, if they, the right time and in the, in the right situation, they just hit you the right way, and they can be windows into the transcendent, windows into this mysterious unseen world where there's this amazement and mystery and beauty. My wife and I were in Vienna uh, last month and uh, spent five hours in the Art History Museum. We were going we to spend an hour there and then go on throughout the rest of Vienna, but we got kind of caught there. It was just magnificent. And that... Many works of art did this for me. In fact, only a couple did, but a few times looking at a work of art, something about it just hit me right, 
and it was like I fell into the painting, if you will. I, I, it pointed beyond itself. I was caught by its beauty or its wonder. It evoked something in me. And in those kind of times, you'll find that 10 minutes or 20 minutes can go by like that and you didn't even realize it. You're just caught in, in the painting. Some people find that works of art, sculpture, uh, can, can be means of waking us up to the wonder around us. For others, it's music. Music can be a tremendous vehicle to take you on a journey, reminding you of uh, the beauty around you, to gaze upon the beauty around you. Claude Debussy for me, or Tchaikovsky, Rachmaninoff. Uh, I don't listen to classical music on a real regular basis, but I do sometimes, and sometimes when I do, it takes me places, if you know what I'm talking about. For others of you, maybe it's the Moody Blues, the Beatles, or Pink Floyd, for all I know. Whatever works. But it takes you places. You, you gaze upon a beauty we don't ordinarily see, and you're aware of this transcendence, touching the transcendence. You're brought out of our normal, very petty, very narrow, secular worldview. Well, see, worship is a lot like that. Some people think that worship is, is sort of this degrading thing where you bow down and and, and pay homage to this egotistical maniac in the sky who's up there saying, tell me how great I am or I will squish you eternally. And so we're like, oh, yes, please don't squish us or boil us. <laughs> that's not what worship is. If, if you think that that's what God is like and if you think that that's what worship is like, you're going to have a hard time being a passionate worshiper. In fact, if that's what God is like, you can make the case that you've got a moral obligation not to worship him. God is not an egotistical maniac. He's not trying to get some need met. He doesn't have any of those kind of needs. What we're doing in worship is going before the one who is the author of the beauty behind the northern lights. And the one who is the beauty that is reflected in, in a dim way in all paintings. And the one who is, is the beauty behind all great works of, of art and all great uh, uh, symphonies, uh, the, music, the best music in the world. We're going to the one who is the source of life itself. He is beauty itself. He is joy itself. He is goodness itself. He is the one that's reflected throughout the creation if we have eyes to see. And all we're doing in worship is simply saying what is accurate, what is true. We're ascribing to him the worth that is due his name. It's really no different than uh, what we were doing in the field when there was this explosion of northern lights. We were saying things like, this is incredible, that's fantastic, I, I've never seen anything like this, this is wonderful, how awe-inspiring, how majestic. Because it was. We're just being accurate. And what we do in worship is... It's a way of reminding ourselves that, that this world is not what it's about. No, we live in the context of God's presence and God is what it's about and God is the source of all those things that are good and true and beautiful that are reflected in different ways in nature and in music and in works of art. The only difference is that God is a personal being so we talk to him personally. And we say, God, you are lovely, you are holy, which simply means you're other, you're different, you're separate from the ordinary stuff of this world. You, you, are, you are delightful, you're, you're, you're magnificent. We're simply saying what is true. We're being caught up in his beauty as we're ascribing worth to the beauty that he is. We're falling into his presence. We're gazing upon his beauty. That's what worship is all about. He is the source of all true life, all true goodness, all true beauty. He's the source of all true love because he is love. As Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he's eternal love, perfect love, unwavering love unsurpassable love. So we're, we're coming into this encounter where we're just saying that, that that's who you are. you are. You are lovely. You are love. 
This takes us to the center of the gospel because the, the gospel, if you're reading it right, is a love story. God created the world out of his love for the purpose of expressing his love. One of the ways the Bible describes that is that, that God created the world to acquire a bride. That's a bride that he can pour his love into and that will reflect his love back to him. A bride who he can dance with throughout eternity. A bride that he can share his perfect love with and perfect joy with and beauty with throughout eternity. And he creates the world to acquire that bride and then in Jesus he becomes a human being and dies on the cross to save this bride. This bride who was hell-bent on destroying herself. It's the greatest love story ever told because never has a lover crossed a greater distance for a, a beloved that could deserve it less. It's the greatest love story ever told. The gospel is a love story which tells us that God is a lover. God is a romantic. And what we're doing when we worship him is simply being caught up into that perfect, passionate, eternal love. Looking into his eyes as he looks into our eyes. We're the bride of Christ and and part of what we're called to do is to rule with him. We're to participate with him and partner with him in spreading his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And so there's a job to do. There's a lot of things we do in the kingdom. But God didn't save his bride because she was going to do a lot of things. God didn't rescue us because there was a lot of tasks that he wanted to get done. Because we're rescued and because we're saved, we do a lot of things. And there's a lot of tasks we get engaged in. But that's not why God rescued us. He rescued us because he loves us and wants to dance with us and have this passionate love shared with us. Out of the fullness of that life comes a whole lot of things, a whole lot of tasks, but, but the center of it is love, just like in a marriage. You don't get married because you're going to pay bills better and you're going to you know, take care of the lawn better and take care of kids better. Yeah, you'll do those things if you're married maybe, but that's not why you got married. I hope not. You got married because you love each other and you want to be together. And if it's a healthy marriage, you spend time doing that. So you're not just defined by the bills you got to pay and the chores you got to do and things of that sort. No, you want to have time where you can look into each other's eyes and embrace one another and celebrate who you are and reaffirm your love and commitment to one another. That's what we're doing with God. And when we do it with God, it's called worship. It's called worship where we just commune with God. Now, the goal of our life is to make every moment of our life an act of worship. Worship isn't just about singing. Uh, the, the, the goal that we aspire to, and we're all a long ways from this, but we want everything about us to reflect the worth of God, worship. Our thoughts, our attitudes, the way we interact with people. On a moment-by-moment -moment basis, we want, the goal is to have every breath an act of worship. This is why we talk a lot about practicing the presence of God around here, Brother Lawrence's uh, discipline where we want to remain aware of God's presence on an ongoing basis. Whatever else we're paying attention to, great, but include uh, an awareness of God in that. And we want to integrate an awareness that every moment we're surrounded by God's perfect love and, and incorporate that into every moment of our life. That's how we make every moment of our life the dome over which he is king, the kingdom of God. And so our goal is to have every moment of our life being an act of worship. But there also needs to be time in our relationship with God just as there needs to be time in a marriage where you alone get intimate with God. You step out of the ordinary stream of life and uh, you just ascribe worth to God and let him tell you what he thinks about you and you tell him what you think about him and you do what you got saved to do and that is to be passionately in love with and loved by your creator. 
And some people find that music is helpful to do that. Others find silence is better. Some people find integrating, reading the Bible is, is, is a way to do that. Whatever works, but you have dates with Jesus where you romance him and he romances you. And, and there needs to be that. There also is a very important dimension of doing this together. We all are individually striving to make our lives an act of worship, and we need times individually where we're intimate with God. But there's a unique kind of profoundness, a unique way of gazing on his beauty, of touching the transcendent, of participating in the fullness of God when the people of God come together and worship. Whether it's in a small group uh, or your house church or whether it's on the weekend with a larger group, when... A bunch of people come together and they, with a united mind and united heart, choose to focus, put off, put off every distraction and focus on God and gaze into the one who is the author of the Northern Lights and all great music and all great art and dance with him. There is a unique kind of presence that happens and a unique kind of tr uh, transformation that can take place. And you find this throughout the Bible, the assembly of people coming together and together worshiping him. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. When we, as a, as a united whole, focus on him, there's a unique dimension of God's presence that we can experience. He's always around you. He's always holding you in his hands. His love is always, you know, right there in your life. But the question is, is are you in a position where you can receive that and experience that and be transformed by that? And there's something about people coming together in unity that allows that to happen in ways It usually doesn't happen outside of that context. When God inhabits the praises of his people and we're worshiping together, transformation can take place. Many people find that it's in sweet times of worship, romancing God, looking into his eyes as he looks into your eyes, gazing upon his beauty. It's in those times where the theoretical concepts of our head become experiential realities in our heart. So you don't just know that God loves you, You're getting a sense in, the, in your experience that he loves you. You don't know just that God is lovely. That's theoretical. You begin to see and experience his loveliness. And see, it's as the theoretical concepts in our head become experiential realities in our heart, that's when they start to impact us, and that's when we start to change. We're transformed in worship. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is one of my favorite verses. It's so important so rarely understood today. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And all of us, corporate, with unveiled faces, seeing the glory of the Lord as though reflected in a mirror, are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, the Spirit, the one who he just said gives us freedom. Now, this is just profound. What Paul is saying there is this. It's what you see more than anything else that determines what you're going to become. Growing in Christ-likeness is not primarily a matter of your valiant self-effort and your, you know, making commitments and so those sorts of things. Those are good and necessary. But the fuel behind all of that, the thing that more than anything else will determine how you grow spiritually is what you see. What you see determines what you become. As we see the glory of the Lord, and the word glory there is just the, the radiance of his beauty, the radiance of his love. As you see his glory, you're transformed into that glory. 
You fall into it, as it were. As you see the glory of the Lord, there's something magnetic about that, and he pulls you into it deeper and deeper and deeper. We're, we're led on by his beauty and his loveliness. And in worship, we just behold that and gaze upon him, and that's how he brought, draws us ever closer to him. We fall more in love with him the more we can experience and be transformed by his love for us. Now notice this. In that passage, it's the Spirit who gives us freedom. What is he talking about there? What kind of, uh, we're supposed to see the Lord's glory, but he's clearly not talking about physical seeing. He says it's through a mirror, like through a mirror darkly. If you look at first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and the first part of first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, the whole passage is talking about our mind. The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so they cannot see the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. But when we turn to the Lord, Paul says, the Holy Spirit lifts the veil and frees us, this is the freedom he's talking about, frees us to be able to see something that the non-believer can't see. And what we're able to see now in our mind is the glory of the Lord. This is what today we would call our imagination. We're able to encounter the Lord. It's our inner sanctum, our inner sanctuary where the Holy Spirit can come and make the things of God real and concrete and vivid to us. And that's when it gets impacted, impacting to us. It's through a mirror darkly. It's through a means. We're not seeing him directly face to face as we shall when we enter the kingdom permanently. But this is the place where God meets us. And so what worship is about is opening up yourself completely to the Holy Spirit, focusing exclusively on Jesus, and letting the Holy Spirit bring you into an encounter with the living Lord via your imagination. As we sing to the Lord, imagine the Lord, picture the Lord. Uh, when we're singing about the cross, you might envision the cross. Sometimes when we're singing about the glory of God, I'll remember those northern lights. It's just as a way of representing the glory of God. Or some other means, the Holy Spirit's incredibly creative on this. But we surrender ourselves over to him and just say, Lord, make the things of God real to me. We're not doing it to get something out of it. We're not trying to get a religious buzz. No, no, no. We do it because he's worthy. We don't need any other reason to worship God other than the fact that he's God. He just is the source of all beauty and the source of all that's good and the source of all that's lovely. And we're just saying so whether we feel anything or not. But you'll find that if you can make the commitment to put everything else out of your mind and pour every ounce of your being into ascribing worth to him and lifting him up and exalting him and seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, well, you'll find that as a matter of fact, he's always drawing you closer and you're being transformed from one degree of glory to another. This is why this is so important. Every weekend we come together, we need to have times on our own when we do this and we need to be striving to have every, every moment of our life an act of worship. But it's so important when we come together that we make a choice. It is a choice. Sometimes it's a sacrificial choice to put aside all the worries and the concerns and the distractions as much as possible and to say, Lord, you are worth all of my attention right here and right now. You see, the, the, the main way we worship God is how we worship God. We say what he's worth by how much of, it he, how much of us he's getting in this moment now. And so it's a choice to say, Lord, you are worth all of my attention, all of my energy. I will pour myself out right now into lifting you up. And we gaze upon his beauty, and he gazes on us, and we are now dancing with the holy God, beholding the beauty of the one who is the source of all that's good and true and lovely. That's what it's about. So we're going to enter into a time of doing this. As I call up the uh, worship team, 
Will you make the choice? There's such a dimension of power and beauty. We saw it last service. The presence of God just comes down and, man, things just happen. And, and, and you begin to see the glory of God. And uh, uh, we'll start by taking up an offering because that also is an act of, of worship. We're ascribing worth to God and to his kingdom by how we steward his resources. So we'll start by taking up an offering. When that's done, I'll come and lead us into a time where we're going to open up uh, communion tables for us to be taking communion. But make the choice now to focus on him. Holy Spirit, we ask you now to come down and inhabit the praises of your people. Grab us by the chin, Lord, and, and, and lift it up so that we're looking right into your eyes. And Holy Spirit, will you take our mind and, and make the things of God real to us so that we can really experience the freedom of the Spirit to see the glory of God, to gaze upon your beauty, to behold you in your loveliness. Be real to us, Lord, in this time as we surrender ourselves wholly unto you in Jesus' name. to ask the folks who are going to be helping with communion to take their stations on the side of the walls and also I'd, I'd like to ask the prayer team to come up here and here's what we're going to do just like in a marriage sometimes it's really good to stop and reflect back on your vows remember the time when you looked in, at each other in the eye and you said I do and pledged your life to one another and think back on the reasons why you got married we all need that and the Lord, to help us do this, gave us a reminder. And it's called the Lord's Supper, communion. Just before he was crucified, he took bread and broke it before them and said, this bread is my body, which is broken for you. And so when you take this bread and eat it, do it in remembrance of me. Never forget how much I love you by remembering what I was willing to do to acquire you, to rescue you. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is the cup of the new and everlasting covenant. This is my pledge to you. This is my blood which is shed for you. So when you take this cup and drink it, just remember the blood that was shed and the promise that's behind it. 
They're visible reminders that help us see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The glory of God is nowhere more beautiful reflected than the cross in the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And so as an act of worship, we're going to take communion. Uh, I encourage us during this time, if, if, if as we're worshiping the Lord, something rises up in you and and sometimes things get fleshed out as we behold his beauty stuff in our life that's not beautiful gets fleshed out and we encourage you to come forward and receive prayer from these folks you can come individually you can come with others and as we're worshiping God just receive whatever prayer you want or if you just want to come and kneel at the altar feel free to do that as we're worshiping the Lord when you feel you want to go and take communion we encourage you just to do that You can do it individually or if you're with your family, a couple, you want to go together or with some friends or a small group, you want to go together, feel free to do that. You can take the communion right when you go there or you can take it back with you and sit uh, for a while and contemplate the Lord. However you want to do that, however you feel led to do that, we encourage you to do that. We open our communion to everybody who's a believer here. You don't have to belong to this church or be any particular flavor of Christianity. Jesus never gave background checks and so we don't either. We just invite you to join us in taking communion. But most important in all of this, whether you're coming forward for prayer or receiving communion or just worshiping the Lord, you can stand if you want. You could sit if you feel like that will help you zone in more. But I want us to fall into his beauty by making the choice to put everything else aside and now with our minds and our hearts and all that is within us to just exalt him. Gaze upon his beauty. Dance with the living God. In Jesus' name, Holy Spirit, grab us, hold us, transform us, bring us into your inner court, put your arms around us, and be glorified right here and right now. In Jesus' name. spectacularly awesome, wonderful, lovely God, the creator. The beauty behind every work of art, every great piece of music, the splendor of the northern lights and everything else in this world that's good. He's the author of it. He's behind it. And we're just beholding and gazing upon his beauty. And there's such power when the people of God come together and make that choice. And I encourage us, every time we come together, it's not just a weekend sing-along. It's, a, it, it's to be a God encounter. And that, that, that hangs on all of us making that choice to focus and lift him up. And I encourage you to do that in your own individual walks with God. 
and I encourage you and all of us to make that the aspiration of our life, that everything we do would be ascribing worth to him. So we want to end just by saying, Lord, would you just use us as we go out of this place? Fill us with your love and with your beauty that we can shine. Help us to gaze on you that we may look like you and be the conduit by which people, hungry people, thirsty people, people walking in darkness all around us, that they may see light, receive love, and be brought into the kingdom. We go out as your servants to do your work in Jesus' name. If uh, you want to come forward uh, uh, for any other need whatsoever, I encourage you to do that. Don't forget the prayer journals are out there. You can sign up for small groups out there. And I encourage you to spend time visiting with one another. Practice hospitality like the Bible says. God bless you guys. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Look, look, look at him in order to look like him. Amen. Yeah.